Amen. Well, if you'll turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Samuel chapter 29. 1 Samuel 29 verses 1 through 11 will be our text this Lord's Day as we pick back up on David's story. If you've been following with us, you know that David, when we left off with him at the very beginning of chapter 28, uh, he had been fleeing from Saul. Uh, Saul was out to kill him and destroy him. And so uh, David makes really a foolish decision and fled to the Philistines. And we talked that Lord's Day about how we read in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, that we're to trust in the Lord with all our heart and not to lean on our own understanding. And yet uh, we see David in that situation leaning on his own understanding. He forgets about God's promises. He doesn't seek God's provision. He walked by sight and not by faith, and he ended up then spending 16 months uh, with the enemies of God. And then there was a a pause there where we picked back up on Saul's story last week and saw Saul also walking by sight, not by faith, also leaning on his own understanding. He he doesn't seek out uh, God. In fact, he he tries to, but because of his unrepentant heart and unrepentant sin, God doesn't listen to him. But rather than continuing to seek out God, he, he turns to a, a medium, to a, a wicked woman, an evildoer, to try to seek and discern God's will. And so now we pick back up on the actual David, and you might read that and think, well, why, why skipping all over the place here? But, but I think what the narrator, the, the writer of 1 Samuel is doing for us, is giving us a clear contrast between David and Saul. If you've been with us through this whole study, I've pointed out several times that 1 Samuel is a book of contrast. Many times we see two people together so that we might see what faithfulness looks like in the face of unfaithfulness. And in this situation, we have two men who both are struggling to be faithful, and yet there is a difference, and we'll look at that difference today as we pick back up here in David's story. And so we're going to look at 1 Samuel 29, verses 1 through 11. And if you're able to, out of reverence for God's word, if you would stand together as I read our sermon text for today. And this is what the Holy Word of God says. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek. And the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is this not David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out. 
with me in this campaign, but I found nothing wrong with you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably, that it may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go down and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. If you would pray with me. Father God, I pray as we consider your word today that you might make clearer to us your saving hand and your saving works. I pray that we would grow in our faith and in our trust and in our thankfulness for your saving hand and that you would help us to see your glory as we consider your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A number of years ago, Sandy and I were on a road trip. We were going uh, back to see family in North Carolina. And uh, for those of you who've ever traveled with young kids, you know what that can be like. You, you think the trip will take this many hours, and it takes this many hours. And you get to those points where you feel like you're, you're finally on the road, you're finally getting going, and then you hear that voice from the back seat, Dad, need to go to the bathroom again. And so we, uh, we were making our way uh, from Kentucky to North Carolina, driving down towards Tennessee, and we pulled over at a, a place to let the kids use the bathroom. And, and it was just one of those chaotic stops, and I'm trying to hurry everybody and get them back in the car. And we eventually do. We, we get back on the interstate, and then as we're driving on the interstate, I noticed that, that the other side of the interstate, the other direction, is just standstill traffic. Uh, there had apparently been an accident of some kind, and we drove for miles and miles and miles. And the further we drove, the more it would just standstill traffic. And I remember turning to Sandy and saying, I'm so glad we're not sitting in that, you know. At least we can make up some time now. And so we, we kept driving and kept driving until I started noticing that we were getting closer to Lexington, Kentucky instead of farther from Lexington, Kentucky. And this was problematic because we were going to North Carolina. And I don't know if you've ever driven to North Carolina, but you don't go through Lexington once you've passed Lexington to go to North Carolina. And, and then it dawned on me that in the chaos of the stop, I had gotten back on the interstate going the wrong way. And now I had that decision. I, I knew I had to turn around to go the right way, but to go the right way meant I was going to be sitting there in traffic for hours. Now, it would have been easier to keep going the wrong way, but I never would have gotten where we were going if I'd done that. I share that with you this morning because really, I think in some ways that's a picture of where we find David now in 1 Samuel 29. Uh, David is going the wrong way. David needs to turn around. He, he needs a corrected path 
It will be a difficult one, but that's what needs to happen. He has now dwelled, not just for days, not just for months, but for a year plus with the Philistines. There, with the enemies of God's people. And the appearance at this point is that he's ready to go to battle against the very people of God. He has sided with the enemy, and he needs to turn around. And as we walk through this text this morning, we'll find that, that he will turn around, but it will not be out of his own volition and his own wisdom. It will be through the sovereign hand of God using his enemies to turn him around, to help him to see that he indeed is going the wrong way. And so as we walk through this passage, I hope that God might help us to see in our lives today if we're going the wrong way. If there are places in our life that we need to make a U-turn, if there, there is sin we need to repent of, and that by looking at David's story, we might be convicted of those things in our own life, our own story, and, and return on the path we need to be on. So we'll begin by looking at the first point in your outline there, where we see that a faultless David is full of faults. Uh, faultless David is full of faults. Now, uh, the context here is that uh, the Philistines are going to battle with the Israelites. And if you've been following the story here, you know that uh, Saul is the commander of the Israelites, but Saul has been preoccupied for some time with seeking out David. He's been preoccupied with finding David and destroying David, and as a result, he's not been dealing with God's enemies like he needed to be. And all the while, the Philistines are building their forces. They're getting ready to go to battle with the Israelites. And now, not only are they going to go to battle with the Israelites, but it seems that they have one of the mighty warriors of the Israelites, David, and his army with them. And that's the context we find them in. And so now, uh, the Philistine lords, these commanders from all different areas, have come together. They're going to battle against the Israelites, but some of them notice a very peculiar sight that they look across the battlefield and they see not lined up against them, but lined up with them, David and his men. Which prompts the question, what are these Hebrews doing here? And that's a very valid question for these Philistine lords. I mean, they know who David is. That this is the David who God used to take on their mighty warrior Goliath and remove his head. That this is the David who then had led the Hebrews to, to slaughter many, many Philistines. This is the David who in order to win the hand of Saul's daughter in marriage had gone in and killed hundreds of Philistines. This is the David who had led campaign after campaign after campaign against the Philistines. The Philistines were the enemies of God. David was the enemy of the Philistines. And so they look out and they see him and of course, they are rightly suspicious. And their theory, as we find out in the passage, is that David's just pretending. David's just acting. David's really just sitting in among them. And then when the time comes, he's going to turn his sword against them. And they're right to be suspicious. We've seen David's acting skills among the Philistines before, haven't we? 
I mean, you'll remember the last time that David fled to the Philistines and then the Philistines were about to turn on David. He, he pretended, he acted like he was mad and insane in order to save his own life. These stories had spread. They knew that he could act his way out of things and so they are suspicious. But, but one of the lords, one of the kings, Achish, is not. Now remember, this is the one that David's been the most closely aligned with for these 16 months. So look in verse 3, Achish says, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who's been with me now for days and years since he deserted to me? I have found no fault in him to this day. And they, he says to him, he, he's faultless. Now again, the, the Philistine lords are pushing back and they're like, Do you not remember the song they sing? I mean, the people chant about David. They chant about how many Philistines he's killed. But, but Achish here believes that David, at this point now, is without fault. In fact, he tells David in verse 6, You've been honest, for I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. And so at this point, Achish is fully convinced that David is faultless. But we know that the writer of this passage knows, the God who inspired this passage knows, that David is far from faultless. In fact, it's within his relationship with Achish that we've seen many faults because the whole time that Achish is here saying, he's been honest with me and he's without fault and he's been loyal to me, that entire time, those entire 16 months, what has David been doing? He has been lying. He's been deceiving. You remember from that text a couple of weeks ago, you, you had David and his army there among the Philistines. Well, they needed provisions. And so to get provisions, they would go and make raids. And so they would make raids against other enemies of God. But these were allies of the Philistines. And so when they would come back and they would have all these provisions, the king would ask, well, where'd you get all that? And David would respond truthfully that they'd made a raid, but he would lie about where they got it. He would say that they got it from someone else. He'd say they got it from people that weren't uh, allies of Achish and the Philistines, people that wouldn't, they wouldn't care if they raided them or not. In fact, David was so intent on keeping his deception going that he ordered his men to kill every man and woman among these groups that they would raid. All to cover his lies. David's deception. Here's a reminder to us that we can fool everybody else. But friends, you can't fool God. God sees and God knows. And you and I can come into this church today. We can interact with people throughout this week. We can put on a front. We can put on an appearance. We can look a certain way. We can act the part. But God knows our heart. And God know, knew that David was full of faults just as he knows that we are full of faults as well. And I think this is a lesson that that David will come to learn as God will be at work in him. And, and this is not the last time we will see David lying and David deceiving. But we do see him come to a point of brokenness and repentance later. And I think it's through that brokenness and repentance that he's able to write 
words like Psalm 139. He writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Consider that picture for a second. But before a word is on your tongue, before you even know what you're about to articulate, our sovereign creator God knows. He also knows what things you're thinking about saying and don't say. (laughs) He knows not only the sin you commit, he knows the sin you, you think about committing. We can fool everybody else, but we can't fool God. God sees and God knows. Achish here looks at David and he thinks he's without fault, but but God knows David's faults. In fact, it's because God knows David's faults so well that we see God putting together this plan to protect David from his own faults and from his own foolishness. And that's where the text takes us next. Point two there in your outline. We see that God protects David from his faults and his foolishness. And so Achish thinks, he's convinced here that David is innocent, but the other Philistine lords, they aren't convinced of this at all. And so Achish listens to these others. He he understands what will likely happen. If if David doesn't leave, David's going to be in danger. These other lords don't seem to be fooled at all by David. They're very suspicious of him. And if nothing else, they want to take out vengeance on what David has done to them in the past. And so he seems to have this understanding that if David and his men don't get out of there before the sun rises the next day, it's not going to go well for them. And so verse 7, he says, go back now, go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. Now just step back for a second and think about this. Previously, we had seen David and his foolishness run down to the Philistines, and he realized pretty quickly that was a bad idea. And so he has to come up with this elaborate scheme and fake madness in order to escape the hand of the Philistines. Well, now, not only has he gone down there, he's taken his family, and not only them, he's taken his army of hundreds and their families, and he's not just stayed with them a short time, he's been there 16 months. And at some time in that 16 months, David has probably thought to himself, how am I going to get out of this mess? That this isn't where I belong. That these aren't my people. How in the world am I going to get out of this mess? I mean, yeah, before it was just him, he could fake madness. But now, with hundreds? And then, all of this takes place in such a way that you would expect David at this point to say, Thank you, Lord. You're providing a way of escape. Thank you, God. You are providing a way for me and my family and my army and their family. You're providing a way out for us now. But that's not his response. Verse 8, David says to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go out and fight against the enemies of my Lord the King? David, given the opportunity 
to get out of the mess he is in doubles down. He's sitting here saying to Achish, who he has bold-faced lied to repeatedly, well, what have I done? How can you tell me to get it? Have I not done everything I said I would do? I've not done anything wrong. Why wouldn't you want me to go fight with you against your enemies? David here seems to be pleading his case and pleading his innocence. And yet David knows exactly what he's done wrong. He has volitionally, intentionally lied. And with an opportunity here to get out of it, he continues to lie. And friends, if we're honest, we do the same thing, don't we? I mean, think of how you respond when you're confronted with your sin. Do you readily admit it? Do you readily acknowledge it? When when given an opportunity to come clean, do you just all of a sudden come clean? Or do you make excuses? Do you get defensive? Do you tell a lie to cover a lie that's covering a lie that's covering another lie? Do you just keep digging that hole further and further and further? I mean, all of us can think about conversations with, you know, kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, where where you catch them red-handed doing something and you know what they're doing and they don't know that you know yet. You give them a chance and they just keep digging that hole deeper and deeper and deeper. But friends, that's a picture of what we do all the time. And we see it here in David. He's doing the same thing. He has the opportunity to come clean. He has the opportunity not even to have to acknowledge anything to Achish and just to get out of there. But he pleads his case and his innocence. And left to himself, it would not have ended well for David. I mean, think about it. If David got what David wanted, how would things have turned out? If David had been able to do what he wanted to do and march against the Israelites, how would that have turned out for David? To take on the army of the very God who had anointed him to be king, to side with the enemies of that God, enemies who were ready to take him out before they took anybody else out. I mean, however you play out those scenarios, it would not have ended well. But but thankfully, we see here that God is about to protect David from his foolishness. And so Achish tells David he has to leave. He makes a way for him to go. And David takes it. But make no mistake about it. (laughs) That this way of escape was not by Achish's design. And this way of escape was not by David's design. This way of escape was entirely by God's design. And he will use the wicked Philistines to get David out of this situation that his foolishness got him into. You look at where David would be left to himself. Well, think for a second. Where would you be today if you were left to yourself? Where would we be today if we got all those things we had wanted? If we had gone down all those paths that we started out? If we kept going the wrong way? And God never turned us around. Where would we be today? What would our lives look like if the sovereign hand of God had not intervened in such a way that he snatched us up and brought us to repentance and set us on the path to righteousness and faith? Where would we 
be. Friends, the picture we see here of, of David, I believe, is, is a picture that helps us then to kind of zoom out to, to see a bigger picture of the gospel because this is what God does for every one of us through the gospel. The, the scripture says that Romans 5, verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you see, the picture of the gospel is not that you and I were just, we were, we were just trying our hardest to please God, but we fell short. We were, we were trying so hard to do the right thing, but we just fell short. Now, the picture of the gospel and the scriptures that, that we're sinners, that all of us are born sinners, and that we are intent on going our wrong way. That, that in that scenario I shared at the beginning, in our sin, we, we can see the signs that we are headed the wrong way, but we just press on the gas even more, and we just keep going and keep going and keep going. And it takes an act of a sovereign and mighty God to snatch us up and turn us around. To, to bring us to repentance and bring us to faith. To help us to see where our sin will eventually take us. To bring us to that point of brokenness and repentance. That we might see then the beauty of the gospel. That while we were foot on the gas sinning. Christ died for the ungodly. He made a way for David. And he makes a way for us. And just as he didn't do this for David because David deserved it, well, he doesn't do it for us because we deserve it either. Well, the question ultimately, I think, from this text for us is what, well, what's it going to take for us to turn around? Well, what's it going to take for us to, to truly repent and trust in Jesus? And what we find in the scriptures is what that takes is the hand of a sovereign and mighty God to lead us to repentance. And once he does that, once we come into this, this covenant relationship with God, then, then he keeps us on the right path. He, he secures us. He sanctifies us. He helps us to persevere and to endure. And it is by his doing and by his faithfulness. And I believe that's the application for us from this passage today, this reminder in point three there, that our salvation is secure. Not, not because of us. <laughs> our salvation is secure because of God's covenant faithfulness. I, I think that's the big picture lesson that we walk away from 1 Samuel 29 with. And I think we, we see that lesson especially as we consider the contrast that we have here. And I think it's purposeful that, that we have this picture of David going down to the Philistines interrupted by this picture of Saul going to the medium at Endor and where that eventually takes him and then come back to this picture of David with the Philistines. I think that what God's doing in His Word here is He's calling us to, to look and to see this contrast. Now there's very similar things happening here. I mean, how does David end up encamped with wicked people he he ends up there because he's disobedient and he's not trusting in God he's not seeking God's provision how does Saul 
end up in a room with a, a wicked, evil woman who's trying to conjure up dead spirits to somehow give him guidance. He ends up there because of his sin and his foolishness and his refusal to repent and truly trust in God. Well, when you look at the events that lead these men to where they end up, they're not all that different. When you look at the decisions they make, they're not all that different. But when you look at what happens, well, there we see a great difference. Saul goes to the medium at Endor, and through God's miraculous ways, he speaks to Saul through the dead prophet Samuel, who then reiterates to Saul the condemnation that's coming that he will soon die for his disobedience and his sin. And then with David, God intervenes in David's life and in his foolishness in a way where he completely snatches him up and rescues him and puts him on the right path, not because of his own wisdom or faithfulness, but because of God's wisdom and faithfulness. I mean, what happens is radically different, and the question for us is, why? Why the different response here? Why, why, why the different consequence here? Why, why does God rescue David but condemn Saul? Why? And I think the answer we have is it's because, or it's not because of David's faithfulness. It, it's because of God's faithfulness. Because God is preparing to have a special covenant relationship with David a covenant that will come in second Samuel chapter 7 a covenant that will eventually lead to the Messiah to our Lord Jesus who will succeed in every way that David and others have failed him and God is preparing for this covenant relationship with David and he's being faithful to this covenant that he hasn't even made with David yet <laughs> but we see in that the sovereign hand of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God why is David rescued and saved and Saul is not? Why are some of you this morning rescued and saved and others are not? It is because of the mercy and the grace of God. It is not because of what I've done and what you've done. It is because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. It is because God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is because of the mighty, merciful, sovereign, gracious, loving hand of God that we are saved. And we should marvel in that. And we should be in awe of that. And we should worship in response to that. And that's eventually where I believe this passage leads us to is praising God for the good news of his mercy and his grace. But it's only good news if you've responded to it in repentance and faith. And so I think there's a, a clear response for us from God's word today, and it's this, that if you have been saved, if you've been rescued, if you were going the wrong way and God picked you up and put you on the right path, then, then the response today is for us to praise God for our salvation, to thank Him for that mighty work He's done. And to pray that He would continue to be at work in us, that He would help us to endure and to persevere and to walk by faith and not by sight.
But if you've not been saved and you've not been rescued, then friend, today you are still standing before God with the full weight of your sin on you. And you are under His condemnation and wrath. And the response that God calls you to is to turn today. To repent today. To put your trust in Jesus today. To experience what we read in Romans 10, that if we confess Jesus as Lord with our mouth and we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be rescued. And then we are secured, not by our faith, but by the faithfulness of a loving merciful, gracious God. And so the invitation is to come to God for salvation today. And so I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. Before I do, let me, let me read for us what we're about to sing as we contemplate the mercy of God. What love could remember no wrongs we have done, omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins they are many. His mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam. What father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. If you would stand with me as I pray for us today. Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness and love and mercy as we consider Saul and David we we can clearly see how how your hand rescued David and your hand enabled David to endure and Lord that's the same hand that rescues and saves and secures our endurance today so help us Lord to trust in you I pray God for those who have indeed come to you for salvation those who have indeed repented and turned from sin. God, that you would help them help us to be thankful today, to be grateful today for that salvation. And Lord, if there's any here this morning who's yet to turn, who is currently on the wrong path, who needs to repent and come to Jesus, well, I pray that now would be the day of salvation for them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And friends, as we lift our voices and worship and thank God for His mercy, we do invite you to come as the Lord leads. I'll be available down front to counsel with you. If today indeed is the day of salvation for you, if this is the day you need to confess with your mouth before this congregation, Jesus is Lord, we invite you to come and do that, to take that next step of believer's baptism. We invite you, if God's leading you to come and join this church family to start that process today. Or if you just need someone to pray with you, I'd be privileged to do that. Others would as well. So we invite you to come as we sing. His mercy is more.